encourage you to grab a Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians is a small little letter in the back of the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you don't have a Bible, there's probably a black one uh, in the rack that's below you there right in front of your seat. If you're on the front row, just reach underneath your seat and there will be a black one there just on the bulletin as well as on the screen. So we're in verses 1 through 9 uh, this morning. So if you're able, uh, why don't you stand with me in honor of reading God's word. So hear the word of the Lord. You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? After beginning by the Spirit, you are now finishing by the flesh? Did you experience so much for nothing if in fact it was for nothing? So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham, who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaim the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, what a beautiful day, not only physically outside, it's absolutely gorgeous. What a perfect day for fall. But what a beautiful day in here, Lord, as we, um, as we are reminded of the precious gift of life through children, Lord, and as we're reminded that, man, you're the one that empowers us by your spirit to be the parents that we need to be for our kids. And at the same time, Lord, man, it's so good to know that the pressure's off, that we don't have to have a perfect family that we don't have to be perfect dads and moms, but that we can rest and rely on you, God, that you can help us to be the mom and dads that we need to be for our kids. So I pray this message, as we look in these few verses, is an encouragement to our people. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So my story... As most of you know, I, I grew up in a home um, where my dad was kind of a minister of music is kind of what his title was. He, uh, early on in my, my life, he kind of took more of the role of a minister of music and youth, uh, served several churches uh, kind of in the Louisville area. And so, so yeah, so you, I mean, needless to say, my life was like brought up in the church. I mean, that's, that's pretty much my world, nine months in, you know, like I'm here. So even though you can't count me in attendance, I guess you could have, but I, I was in the womb, you know, here on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, sometimes visitation that happens during the week. I mean, that was our schedule. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember those days. It was kind of exhausting. You got here really early on Sunday morning. You did Sunday school. You did Sunday church. You went home for a few hours. You came back and did training union. Anybody remember training union? There you go. Got a few people in this room. Then you did Sunday night service, and then you come back, and you'd have a meal on Wednesday night, and then you'd do, like, choir practice, Bible study, prayer time. You'd get home, like, at 10, 10 o'clock. I mean, Christianity was exhausting 
back then. Amen? Absolutely exhausting. And so, um, so yeah, and I'm thankful, you know, and I was, I was kind of making fun of that, but I was th- I'm thankful for, you know, number one, that, that God brought me into a family that loved Jesus and that honored the church by our presence and being there. And so Lord saved me when I was really young. I was seven years old when God did a work in my life. And, and I remember to this day, you know, trusting and putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I, I remember uh, Brother Walters was the pastor at Ralph Avenue Baptist Church, which is kind of down uh, Gene Snyder here. I think it's still in existence. I don't know if it's in the same shape it was when my dad was there. Um, but yeah, I mean, God saved me at a really, really young age. And, and if you grew up kind of in sort of the tradition that I grew up, what, what, you know, what you observe and as you look back on it is that, um, you know, my church did a great job of talking about getting in, right? There's always this emphasis of, you know, getting in, being a Christian, getting into this relationship with Jesus. You know, we, you see it through the altar call, you know, heads bowed, eyes closed, raise your hand. I mean, all of that was, and I'm not making fun of that. That was a part of it, and glad was there and needed, and there's some good pieces to that. But the emphasis was, man, getting you in. And then the other emphasis was, was the security when you got out, right? And what I mean by that is basically like, do you know where you're going to go when you die? You know, that was kind of the emphasis, like getting you in and then making sure you had a security beyond the shadow of doubt that when you die, you know you're going to heaven. I mean, I remember that's kind of like how I learned how to share the gospel with people. That was the first question I would ask people. Hey, if you were to die today, do you know you are you'd spend eternity? Like that's how you bridged into it. You know, I don't know how effective it was, but that's kind of what we did. And so... So there was this emphasis of getting in and making sure we knew how and where to get out. But, you know, what was unclear, and maybe this is your story also, but what was unclear for me was how do I live, right? I got, God saved me at seven. I'm 48 now. And so what was unclear is what does the Christian life look like? You know, what do I What do I do? How do I live this life that God has birthed me into? And look, I I get it. I mean, I blame like 90% of it on me because I'm sure my church taught me these things. But man, I I was clueless on how to to live this, what it looked like in this in-between time. And so, so basically what I kind of remembered, it never was taught these things, but it kind of absorbed them, right? So my understanding was that, hey, you live this Christian life, and that means this. There's a lot of things that you've got to start doing, and there's a lot of things that you've got to stop doing, right? That's kind of the, what I have absorbed of what it looks like to live this Christian life in between birth into this Christian life and death, right? And so the things you've got to start doing, you've got to go to church. You've got to like it, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, all right, I'm supposed to like this, but this is awful, but you can't say that like you're a christian now you know you gotta you gotta start praying that felt weird but i gotta start praying i'm supposed to start reading my bible this big huge book and back in my day the only version you were allowed to read is the king james version it's like okay good luck it's like i i'm you know persevering through and not only supposed to read it i remember you know having those little bitty envelopes where you had to check all the little things you did, right? And, and one of those little boxes where you brought your Bible? Yeah, it's like, yes, I'm a really super Christian. I brought my Bible today, right? It's, and i got to start giving. I mean, I'm supposed to start dressing up when I come to church because this is, 
God's house, and you're supposed to look your best for God. You're showing up for him, and so that means for guys, you're wearing dress pants. You're definitely wearing a shirt that's tucked in. Amen, right? <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for a little bit of laughter there. I don't know, man. So for ladies, that was skirts. Like, you don't show up with slacks on. That's of uh, the devil. And so, um, yeah, those are all the things I've got to start doing. And now, like, granted, guys, like I said, no one's, like, sitting down and giving me this chore chart or, or showing me all this. But this is what I'm absorbing. Like, this is, all right, this is how I'm supposed to do this Christian life. And then there's also... Those things you're supposed to stop doing. One of those you're supposed to stop listening to music that you like, right? <laughs> and start listening to music that you don't like. Like you're, okay, you're supposed to start liking Christian movies that are awful, but you're supposed to like them, right? You're st- stop using language that you're not supposed to be speaking. You're not supposed to be running in church. You know what I'm talking about? You guys remember that when you were a kid? Like, I don't even know what that's about now that I look back on it. But, man, my dad, my mom, and everybody else in the church would yell at me, just running. You don't run in God's house? (laughs) Okay, why? Right? Why? Why can't I run? (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, you got to stop dancing, right? If you want to dance, you ain't doing that as a Christian, Right? Man, it was a big deal. I went to Campbellsville College um, back in the day in the 90s, and when I arrived on campus was the first time ever that they did a, a dance. It was a big deal. I mean, we had man, people thinking that we had the, the devil being invited in to Campbellsville College because we're, we're dancing, and maybe, maybe we did. I don't know. But, but that's it, man. That's what, like... I absorbed of what it looks like to live in this in-between, a lot of things that you need to start and a lot of things you need to stop. And I'm not, I'm not saying that there's not some truth in some of that, not that there's not some good in some of that, and I'm not saying that these probably didn't, you know, I'm sure there was the best intentions on how all of these kind of started out. But here's what I found out. If that's the way of living the Christian life, then this is how I felt. I felt like I was missing out. And I was looking around at everybody, and they're having a great time. Life's awesome for them. And I'm miserable, right? I'm exhausted. Realize it doesn't work. I'm more frustrated than I'm happy, right? You ever try to, like, have victory over sin by focusing on conquering that sin and the absolute opposite begins to happen. You know what I'm talking about? Like the more you try to focus on conquering that sin, it heightens the sin more. And you just go like, what's the point? I'm just going to give in, right? It doesn't work. You're, you're frustrated. There's no joy in your life. There's no freedom in your life. There's no peace in your life. And then when you read the Gospels and you just take kind of like a a big view of Jesus, it just doesn't seem like Jesus is lacking joy in his life. He seems to be pretty much at peace. There seems to be, and I don't mean this in any kind of irreverent way, but there seems to be something that's almost childlike about Jesus. There's a carefreeness about him in a good way that we see as we read the Gospels. And when I look at Jesus' life, and then I begin to see my own life, like, that's not matching up. The fruit that I'm seeing in my life is I'm uptight. 
I'm bitter. I'm envious. I'm self-righteous, right? You get those seasons where you think you're knocking it out of the ballpark. Oh, look how holy I am. What are you doing, right? Just being all self-righteous and looking at everybody else and can't handle the sin like you can, right? Whatever, I don't know. It's just crazy stuff. But you get angry. All this kind of stuff is going on in me. And so then you begin to ask this question. Maybe I missed something. Or, or, or here's, here's the thing. I remember, maybe it didn't work. And I need to do it again, right? How many of us in this room rededicated our lives like a million times? We go to camp. I'm there, right? It must not. I didn't really believe it. Now I'm really believing it. And we come back next year. I didn't believe it last year, but now I really am believing it, right? Actually, what's happening here, guys, and I do think that's what Paul's addressing in these nine verses, is that I'm, I was trying to live the Christian life in a different way than I started the Christian life. That's what Paul is after here. I mean, verse 3 is kind of like the point of these nine verses here. Look what he says here in verse 3. Are you so foolish? And the little translation of that is like, are you an idiot? I mean, that's really what it is. I mean, that sounds a little harsh, but that's what he's saying to him. My translation would be like, are you a moron, right? Bunch of moronicas, right? Amen, right? Like, what in the world? After beginning by the Spirit, are you now finishing by the flesh? So the, so the heresy that Paul is addressing in this book is kind of twofold. They're, all, they're very similar. So, so one of them that we've been talking about for the few, last few weeks is like, how do you get into this relationship with God? And Paul is making the argument that the only way you get in is through Jesus. No other way. Like, it's not Jesus plus. It's Jesus and Jesus only. That's how you get into a relationship with God. Not Jesus plus a few little works or not Jesus plus, you know, all your good intentions. No, it is Jesus and Jesus only. But at the same time, what he's addressing here is then how do you live? How do you finish and complete the Christian life? And the heresy that's being spoken about here is that you finish the Christian life and you get in the Christian life and stay in the Christian life by your works, by your self-effort. That's what he means by flesh. Anytime Paul uses the word flesh, he's not talking about our physical skin here as if there's something wrong with our bodies. He's talking about this working system that's internally in our interior world that is against God, that has no power in and of itself to do what God wants. And so it's like, it's, it's self-effort. And so Paul is going like, look guys, are you guys crazy? Who has I mean, he says in verse 1, who's cast a spell on you? Who's bewitched you to think that I can live the Christian life in a way that's different than when I started it? That's craziness. You cannot live this Christian life by your effort, by your works, by striving, by doing better. That's what Paul is saying here. I mean, one of the ways you can kind of you know, picture this, and this may be sort of a silly illustration, but it's all right. It, just humor me a little bit. Um, so one of the things that I came across as I was doing some reading is there was a guy named Charles Blondin who lived back in the, you know, 1800s, and he was known as one of the, you know, tightrope walkers in his time. I mean, huge, well, well known here. And so, you know, one of his big feats was he stretched, you know, rope across the Niagara Falls, and he would walk back and forth across the Niagara Falls. and did all these kind of tricks there, you know what I'm saying? Just, you know, sometimes he would flip and, you know, bounce himself on a chair that I think he's known also for, like, 
um, you know, eating a meal, preparing a meal and eating it on this, like, this tightrope, which is crazy. Like, I'm just thinking about that. It's just like nuts. Why would you even do that? Just eat the meal on the ground. Amen? But, like, more power to you. But one of the things that he's really known for is, uh, and I think this is the picture. I, I, this is what I found on the Internet. So that is his manager that would manage, like, his work and all that kind of stuff uh, that's on his back. And so one of the things that we would do is get his manager on his back, and he would walk across the tightrope over the Niagara Falls and back. I mean, a lot of trust and faith the manager would have in Charles to make sure that he got across there. So just imagine with me if halfway across this rope, the manager stops Charles and says, hey, I don't trust you anymore. Right? I don't think you're going to make it. Let me down. I'm going to finish the rest of the way. Like, that's insanity, isn't it? Like, Charles would look at him and say, you're insane, you're a moron, you have no idea what you're talking about because you've never done this before in your life. And everybody in the audience would say the same thing. Like, no, you can't go and finish this on your own. It's absolutely impossible. And that's exactly why Paul is so fired up here. It's why Paul is saying, are you, are you bewitched? Are you under a spell? Are you... Are you foolish, great relations? Like, do you really think that you can do this Christian life on your own? Do you really think that you can continue in this Christian life any different than the way you started it? One writer puts it like this. Christians think we are saved by the gospel, but then we grow by applying biblical principles to every area of life. Because I'm not saying there's anything wrong with principles and not that the Bible doesn't speak on principles and all that kind of stuff. But if that is the primary means for our growth as a Christian, listen to me. You're going to be exhausted or you're going to be a self-righteous individual that no one wants to be around. Because that's not how you grow as a Christian. This is how you grow. We are not just saved by the gospel, we grow by applying the gospel to every area of your life. How you began is also how you continue. You got in this relationship with God by receiving and believing in the gospel, and guess what Paul is saying here? You continue and you finish in the same way by receiving and believing in the gospel. That's why we say around here, I said this a few weeks ago, the gospel's not just the diving board, it's the entire pool. Or how I would see it, because this is what I grew up in, the gospel's not just the entrance in and the exit out. Are you following me? So my, my, my tradition, you get in, and then this is the way you get out, how you know for sure you're going to go to heaven when you die. No, the gospel is the entire house. It's just not how you get in and how you exit out. It is the entire home. And that's what Paul is trying to get across here in verse 3. See, look, look, guys, look. You can't continue in the Christian life in a different way than you began. That's craziness. It's moronic. You're being bewitched. You can't do this. You can't. Do the Christian life in the flesh. It won't work. So, like, if you're here, I mean, I think one of the questions that comes as a result of what I just said there is, okay, then, all right, Lyle, I hear you. So what does this look like, right? 
I hear you that I can't live the Christian life any different than the way I started, but then what does this look like? Especially if you're here and thank God for you. I mean, I'm not trying to, like, you know, whatever. But some of us are type A personalities, right? Which is wonderful. If you love the Enneagram, you know, if you don't, that's fine. You don't need to know anything about the Enneagram. But some of you that love the Enneagram, there's those that are kind of identified with more of the style of the three, the effective person. So when you hear sermons like this, it drives you crazy, right? It's like, Lyle, what am I to do? <laughs> it's like, I want to get something done. Like, give me the work. I can do this. Tell me something to do. Uh, like, this seems so passive and like, ah, you know, okay, I'm going to start the same way. What? Like, give me something here. And so look, this is what Paul does for us in the rest of these verses that surround verse 3. He tells us, what does this look like? How do I continue the same way I began? And you see this by the repetition of a specific word. Look what he says here in verses 1 and 2. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who's cast a spell on you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as, cruci- as, as crucified. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Again, skip down to verse 5. It kind of says the same thing again. So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by doing the works of the law, or is it by what? Believing what you heard. And so Paul is asking these rhetorical questions, and a rhetorical question means that there's an obvious answer. So over and over he's saying, hey, Galatians, did you receive the Spirit by doing works? Or did you receive the Spirit by believing? Galatians, did you get the Holy Spirit by your effort, and you're striving, or did you get the Holy Spirit by trusting? Galatians, did you get the Holy Spirit by cleaning your life up and making all these promises and making sure you started a few things and stopped a few things, and when all that was in order, you received the Holy Spirit? No. Paul is saying, no, you received the Holy Spirit when you believed in the message of the gospel that I spoke to you. And in that moment, when you trusted that message is when you received the Spirit. Galatians received the Spirit when they heard the gospel preached by Paul and they placed their faith and trust in the gospel. Believing, hear me, not doing was the pathway to receiving the Spirit. And hear what Paul is arguing. It's also the pathway to growing. Believing, not doing is the pathway to how we continue in this Christian life. You continue in the same way that you began. You began by believing and receiving the gospel, and you continue by believing and receiving the gospel, not by doing. I know, you guys are getting really frustrated probably, but hang with me, hang with me. And to kind of seal the deal, so to speak, all right, Paul gives us an illustration. He gives us a guy. He says, okay, let me give you a picture of what I'm talking about. And the guy is Abraham, which they would have been very familiar with. Look what he says in verse 6. Just like Abraham, who, here's our theme again, believed God, and it was credited, or you could use the word counted to him, for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith 
these are Abraham's sons. Notice, guys, look, I don't have time to get into all of Abraham's story here and encourage you to go to Genesis chapter 12 and read about him. He's a great guy, very interesting story about him. But notice that it does not say that he believed in God. It says that he believed God, that God delivered a message to Abraham and he trusted that message. He believed in the very words that God was speaking to him. And what were those words or what was that message? Well, look at verse 8 and 9. Now the scriptures saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by what? Not by works, not by achievement, not by doing, but by faith. Same word of trust. Faith is the noun for believing, right? He goes on, and he proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham saying this, that all the nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham, and what did he say? He said that all the nations will be blessed. How, Lau? How are they going to be blessed? This isn't the complete gospel that we know right now, but this is kind of forward-looking here. It's the gospel here that all the nations are going to be blessed. Well, how? Are they going to be blessed by their achievements? Is that what it says? Are they going to be blessed? All the people of the earth are going to be blessed by their effort and their obedience? No. They're going to be blessed through an inheritance that someone is going to come through the line of Abraham and that someone is going to be a blessing to all the nations. And how does the people get in on this blessing? Not by achieving or doing, but by what? Believing. By trusting. Look, guys. Abraham didn't have a clue how this was going to happen. I mean, one night, you read this in Genesis, God took him to a hill, looked up in the sky, and he says, hey, count the stars. This is how many descendants you're going to have. And at that moment, Abraham has no boy. And his wife was really wise, Right? Meaning she was old, all right, thanks. Nobody really caught that at all, man. That was awful. Come on. <laughs> she was well advanced in child-rearing years. Like, come on, no way. But what did Abraham do? He believed. He trusted. He took the words God said to him as true and then he lived his life according to that. That's what he did. So look, so follow what Paul is trying to say here. You don't continue on and you don't now live this Christian life by doing for God. Because that's not how you got in. You didn't get the spirit of God by doing. Nor is that what we see with Abraham. He didn't receive this promise from God by his doing. He believed. He trusted. That's not how you got in, and that's not how you received the Holy Spirit. And so it is not how you continue. You continue the same way that you began. You began by trusting in the message of Jesus, and you continue by trusting in the same message. 
John Stott says it like this. In his little wonderful commentary on Galatians, he says this. The law says do this. The gospel says Christ has done it all. The law requires works of human achievement. The gospel requires faith in Christ's achievement. The law makes demands and bids us obey. The gospel brings promises and bids us believe. So what does this look like? What what does kind of living in the Christian life look like? How do I continue the same way I started? You trust. You trust. I mean, in case you think I'm off my rocker or Paul's off his rocker, we just read it on the screen a few minutes ago. What did Jesus say? The crowds came to him, tell us to work. Right? Bunch of type A's, Enneagram 3's, tell us what to do. Right? I'm not, please, hopefully you're not offended by that. I'm just loving on you. Amen? So we laugh together because I've got some 3 in me too. So that doesn't matter. All right, move on. But here's what they're wanting to know is what do I need to do? What's the work? And what did Jesus say? He didn't give them a list. Stop running in church. Daggummit. Darn kids, right? Stop dancing. I know we see it in the Bible, David danced, but that was weird, strange. He was half naked. Don't do that, right? (laughs) Stop listening to good music and listen to horrible music. That's not what Jesus said. He said you believe in the one God sent. And who's the one that God sent? It's Jesus. That's it. And I know for some of us in this room, when we hear that, just I just trust. <laughs> That's all you got, Lyle? Just trust? It just seems so passive and feels like I'm just floating down the lazy river. and You know, come on. And I would just want to say this. If you hear in your own interior world, do something for God, I think we can make an argument here that Paul is saying that's coming from your flesh, not the spirit. If you hear in your interior world, man, you gotta, you got to kind of like make yourself worthy to be a recipient of what God has done for you. I mean, he's been so gracious for you and done all these things, giving you new life. You're going to be going to heaven. I mean, the least you can do out of the sense of gratitude is, is work for him, be obedient to him, do something for him. And I think what Paul is trying to say, look, when you hear that, that's not coming from the spirit. That's coming from your flesh, from self-effort. And if you run down that road, listen to me, man. Listen. I'm, I'm pleading you to listen to me. It will damage your life, not just spiritually, but also physically. Because what goes on in your soul comes out in your body. But what the Spirit of God calls out is it's finished, it's done. So why are you living your life like it's not? So Spirit of God is calling out, hey, hey, stop working. Stop striving. Stop your doing. It's done. It's, it's finished. Trust me. Trust me.
Because look, I'm, I'm solely convinced of this, that if we truly trusted those few words that the Spirit of God is screaming at us, your life would be radically different. And even if it's not, guess what? There's grace. You're still in the family. Because I hear some of you when I hear it's trust. Oh, man, that sounds like work. That sounds like the work that we got to do to get God's favor. No, it's not. Trust in Ephesians chapter 2 is a gift. You're in the family because of the work of Jesus, not because of your trust. You're in the family because you're putting your trust in a person, not in yourself. The work has been done. It is finished. And Jesus is coming to you and saying, trust me. Trust me. I mean, what do you see when you read the gospel of Jesus? You see Jesus striving to be better? Right? No. But you do see a man who trusted the Father. So please hear me last. And we'll get to this in, in a few weeks. I'm not, I'm not saying that Paul is against doing, right? I'm not saying that Jesus is against doing. I'm not saying that I'm against doing. I mean, yeah, man, there's... We can make an argument there, right? There's doing. We spent an entire summer in the book of James, which is all about doing. Amen, right? It's an active book. Right? It's a lot of verbs and a lot of imperatives. Go do this, right? So I, I'm, I'm hearing you, yes. And we'll get to the, the fruit of the Spirit here in about a few weeks. You know, we learned from what? DC Talk, amen? A little shout out there. Love is a what? A verb, yeah. There we go. We got like two people that remember DC Talk back in the day. So they, they actually, I thought their music was really good, so I didn't mind listening to them. So... All right, but that's a whole other story in of itself. But look, like it is. Love is felt. It's an action, right? It's doing. Patience. It's like if you don't feel patience, then it's not. You know what I'm saying? Like it, you feel it. You experience patience. So, yes, there is a lot of doing. But here's what Paul is saying, that he wants our doing to always be in a posture of trusting. He wants our doing to always be in a posture where I'm believing and trusting in the message of Jesus that got me in is also what sustains me. So, all right, well, how do I know? Like, how do I know if I'm being <laughs> that guy on the tightrope and saying, hey, I got it. Thanks for taking me this far. I'm going to take it the rest of the way. How do I know, Lyle, if I'm trying to live this in-between time in the flesh and trying to do it by my own self-effort? Well, I'll close with this. I'll give you kind of a few things. Do you lack joy in your life? I'm not saying it's the only reason, but it could be. Maybe you're trying really hard to be a Christian and you fail. Are you anxious? I mean, I, like I said earlier, I just, I feel like, man, if, well, all right, say that back, not feel. I believe we see what the, Bible teaches us about this relationship, right, that we have with God and we're safe with him, I do feel like there's a way in which there's a carefreeness about us. 
not in a bad, evil, sinful way, or a better word, maybe like a childlikeness, where we're, I don't know, our taste buds are awakened to wonder, to where we begin to pay attention to things that we may ignore more, like beauty and what we see outside even this morning. Like I just, maybe you're lacking that. I'm not saying this is the only reason, but this could be one of them. Are you exhausted? I mean, that's one of the things I love about our church. I really do. It's something I've, and maybe it's just a part of my story, and then that comes fleshed out here, is I just want to be a place that people can get rest. And I know that sometimes backfires, you know what I'm saying? Like, I get it. You know, like, yeah, we're struggling for servants here and there. And, but I don't think the message of guilt and shame works. But I do think a message that you can rest. God's got you. You're safe. So are you exhausted? Maybe you're tired because you're trying to be a Christian. Or if that doesn't help, what if I described it in some phrases here? I'll give you two. So which phrase kind of describes, describes your life right now? One being this. Striving hard to be all God wants me to be. Is that you? Striving hard to be all God wants me to be. It seems like the primary mode of that is trying to please God. And trying to please God will destroy you. Because he's already pleased. You're in Jesus and Jesus is in you. Or is your life marked by this, living out of who God says I am? And that involves trust. This is who God is declaring you to be. Do I trust that and live out of that truth? Or do I live out of a lie that I'm believing that's going on in my interior world that I heard or listened to somewhere years ago? The irony of the Christian life is this, is that the only way you get better is when you realize you don't have to get better. The only way you get better is when you realize that I'm not going to be loved and accepted based on if I get better. That's what Jesus did on our behalf. I mean, think about this, guys. Look, Brennan Manning. Look him up. Well-known author, wrote a little book called Ragamuffin Gospel. He became an alcoholic after his conversion. And he battled with it till the day he died. I mean, years ago, I wouldn't even have a category for that. And some of you in this room don't have a category for that. But I do. It's called the grace of God. And the grace of God saves now and forever. Not because he got better or he made all these intentions of getting better. No, because of the finished, completed work of Jesus was done for Brennan Manning. So that he can die an alcoholic and still be safe with God. Not because he got better, but because he was in Jesus. 
That's the good news, man. I'll close with these questions. If that doesn't do it, then here are three questions I'll close with. Do you measure your closest to God by how little you're sinning? Or by your trust that to the exact extent the Father loves Jesus, Jesus loves you. Next question, when you talk to God, do you spend more time rehearsing your failures or enjoying his presence? Third question, do you read the Bible as you ought, you should, why can't you, when will you, or as you can, this is who you now are. Look, you can't live the Christian life in a different way than you began it. You began it by trusting this message. You live it by trusting in this message. So listen to me. Some of you in this room, hear me. You need to rest. You need to quit trying so hard. And you need to rest that it's done for you. Trust it. Go take a walk today and look up and see the beauty of what God has created. And that beauty is to give a stillness and a calmness and a restness to our soul. And hear him say, hear him say this, that because you're in my son, I love you. You're beautiful. You're worthy. And may that truth inform and dictate and shape the way you live. Let's pray.